When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pick up your phone while driving, and you might need to be picked up from work. Break the speed limit, and you could be breaking plans with your mates. Leave L or N plates off your car, and you could be left getting taxis for the next six months. So ask yourself, is it really worth it? Seven penalty points over three years will disqualify learner and novice drivers for six months. Steer clear of points and stay on the road. A message from the Road Safety Authority. Welcome everybody to another episode of our spin-off episodes, which where I, well, I kind of do a terrible impression of some sort of hybrid between Parkinson and a bloke who mithers you on the train when you just want to read your book. So that's kind of what this episode is. I'm delighted to say that this episode, the episode that this person is focused on, who's agreed to stop reading for a bit and have a chat with me, is Caroline, Carolyn Hitt. Hello. Hello there. Good to, ha- good to be on, Lee. Yeah, thanks very much for coming on. Pleasure. Um, so a little bit about Carolyn then before we get into some questions. Born and raised in the Ronda, Carolyn went on to study at Oxford before training on the Neath Guardian and the Merthyr Express. And let's just quickly run through some career highlights here. <laughs> Western Mail in 1992, where you progressively become a features editor. Welsh Feature Writer of the Year in 1998. Went over to broadcasting for a bit, set up your own company in 2012. First woman to win Welsh Sports Journalist of the Year. Twice won UK Sports Journalist of the Year. You also became one of the first women to win the Welsh Sports Hall of Fame Journalist of the Year. You've published books like Wales Playing Red and Welsh Rugby in the 70s. And uh, you also do a lot of work as a patron of Valindra Cancer Centre in Cardiff. Have I missed anything? <laughs> there was a lot well... to be doing with there. <laughs> so, I mean, I wrote a blog and I was relatively proud of it, such as what it was. I can only imagine what it feels like <laughs> to, ha- to have a career like yours. Does it feel strange to have it kind of rattled back to you like that? Or... Gosh, well, it, you know, it, um, it, it sounds nice when you, when you kind of rattle it all off like that, Lee, but honestly, um, it's just I'm just a job in journalist stroke producer. I'm just, you know, I'm a I'm an aging hack, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose as well, I watched your very, uh, very good rugby code breakers documentary about the Welsh players that went north. Um, and after yeah. that, I reached out to Tony Collins, who helps us out with the rugby history podcast that we do now for our Patreon members. So it's kind of, I suppose, thank you indirectly for a sort of indirect introduction because I kind of went and found him and he's been 
great ever since. He's very generous with his time and everything. So, oh, Tony is amazing. He is the kind of Google of, of rugby union and league, and uh, he's a great guy as well. He's always so accommodating and helpful. Uh, but he is the kind of touchstone for anybody who wants to really kind of dig into to matters historical and cultural. He, he just yeah. knows it all. He remembers guy. everything. It's all off the top Absolutely. of his head. There's no sort of like, do you need to read up on this, Tony? No, you know, it's, no, it's all no, fine. No, it's all He's there. just ready he to can, go. Yeah, and he can deliver it really, uh, you know, in a really compelling way as a natural broadcaster too. So, yeah, um, fantastic uh, stuff. Really impressive guy. So before we get into your life in rugby and, and stuff like uh-huh. that, what, um, what do you make of the Project Reset thing? Oh my God, it's just so typically Welsh, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, and from a kind of journalist journalistic point of view i just think it's been an exercise into in how not to handle pr uh from from all sides of it um yeah uh, that comment's I been made think, by a few people i think yeah, yeah the, manage- no the really... management of the message has been perhaps a yeah word. no one's a development the message a development point for people involved put it that way shall oh we? completely <laughs> and it's really it's really interesting because you know you, you've seen how you know um you know you mentioned me starting off in little weekly newspapers and you you've kind of I've probably worked in journalism for gosh, gosh, twenty-five years, and and I've really seen this kind of evolution of um, of companies and agencies and institutions taking on their own PR and not really needing, you know, journalists. Mm. Uh, they think uh, <laughs> and and doing all the kind of you know their own digital marketing and their own films and all the rest of it. But at some point, you need a good old-fashioned firefighter when you're in those situations. Uh, you know, the kind of old-school. Um, press officers mm. um and you know I, I think we've we've seen how you can kind of be um unseated a bit by by the ways of modern pr i think uh, you know i was just fascinated from that perspective i thought my god these this you know who's in control of the story here so uh yes yeah, so i suppose we just you know we tend to rant and rave about what's going to join up where and who's going to do that but it's interesting for you yeah. from your side of things and actually it's more interesting to see yeah, a company, well, a company, an organisation that's that large making yeah. such a hash of it, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and it's uh, it's been interesting. Uh, it's reco- never dull in Wales, is no, it? No, indeed. No. We're, recording, um, we're recording this in advance of the, the Grand Slam game, as it is for Wales. Yeah, the side again. how exciting. Will you be going? I'll be there, yeah. Um, I'll be in the press box. Uh, I've got some lovely Irish friends coming to stay for the weekend as well, so it'll be a, a sociable as well as a as a working weekend. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really nervous as well. I, um, do you know, I, I I didn't doubt that we would beat England. You know, a lot of people did, but I just had this oh, really okay. kind of, I had a really secure feeling that that match would be okay for us. But this one, it's, I love an, a Wales Island game. There's so much niggle. There's so much intensity. There's so much bitching. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, you know, for rugby people, this is almost, you know, the, the real rivalry. People always talk culturally about Wales-England. Hmm. But I think in, in recent years, you know, when they were calling Gatland a menopausal warthog and, <laughs> and all, you know, all, all the stuff about, oh, they're the ones the Welsh boys really love to hate. And, and we're, we're much closer to them on a kind of weekly basis with the Pro 14. They know each other inside out. They've been on Lions tours together. And, and it's just, I just think it's always a really fascinating contest. And Ireland never fear coming to Cardiff. You know, I've seen them kind of rock up and, uh, and win several times. Last minute drop down um, again, do you think? Oh God, those yeah. Oh, the agony of it, the agony of it, and 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 I just think you know, in terms of a kind of finale to the tournament, it couldn't be better because I think both sides, you get the sense that they haven't really, really, really hit their straps, and this could be the one where you know they they both kind of 
Yeah, it's not been a very expressive mojo. tournament, has it? Certainly not with the no, board, I don't it's think, been... for anybody. Which, and it's been a very no. interesting tournament. I think you can always you can always make it sound like you're doing it down. I'm not. I think it's just... It's no, not a, at all. It's been a very specific type of tournament this year for most yes. of the team. So it will be interesting it's to been, see. Are you confident? It's been fascinating. Um, I, think, I think we can edge it. I think that the um the kind of i think the power of the stadium will work its magic hopefully i mean gatland who isn't usually that that emotional you know i i loved his appeal to the the 16th man and woman in the week um and i think it was an incredible atmosphere against england uh so i'm hoping that um, you know because a lot of people don't believe in that kind of extra bit of magic but i do i think you know you can kind of feel it sometimes the kind of turn turn in the tide when and the crowd is with you, and it's just. Well, it's there's just a reason kind of why people win at home while they're away. It's nothing. A, the data well, would back you yeah. up there. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of yeah, a, yeah. So, <laughs> so you're in the press box. So you co- you cover that for the, you for the Western Mail, would you? Or? Oh well, yeah. I'm doing. Uh, I usually do I, these days. I mean, because um, I always say Lee, that I'm a I'm a kind of journalist who who writes about rugby rather than a rugby journalist. You know, I mean, my ah, main yeah. job is is you know I'm. I make programs on all sorts of subjects, and and in a way, I approach rugby in the same way as I would, you know, making an arts program or a music mm. program or a history program. I kind of take it as as a subject in its own right, and and not come with all the kind of um, I don't know preconceptions, maybe, and baggage of a straightforward sports journalist. And uh, I try to look at it slightly le- yeah. from a left field position, um, and um, which frees me up a bit because I just you know want to write whatever I like really. <laughs> Um, yeah, to worry about. yeah, and there's plenty of people know. who are writing about how many overlaps were there and the optus yeah, stats. Yeah. And let's look at this. I suppose that kind of cultural view of rugby and the wider yeah. picture of it is actually, to be honest, what makes it for me more interesting. Anyway, so it's no surprise that you, you know, you gravitate towards that. Really, yeah. Well, I love that, that side of it, and I think you know that the other side of it is covered really well and that's not my forte it's not my kind of where my knowledge base is um you know i i still really come in like a fan um mm. i still got a bit of the kind of wide-eyed wonder about it all um and i probably write very much from that perspective rather than um you know my esteemed colleagues in the press box so talking about you as a fan then let's try and go back to where this kind of fandom begins so you, you grew up in uh-huh. the in the Ronda valley Valleys. I did, yeah. Where, where yeah. exactly? It always annoys me people say, I'm from the Ronda. It's, it's, it's uh-huh. a relatively large geographical area, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so, two, 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 two valleys as well. There's yeah. you know, Ronda Vaud, Big Ronda, and Ronda Vach, Little Ronda. So I grew up in Ronda Vaud in a place called Thloyna Pier, hmm. which translates as Magpie's Bush, which always raises a bit of a fanar fanar. <laughs> Um, it's a very small place. It's got a satellite of the slightly bigger town of Tonabandi. Um, and I grew up in a, in a kind of quite a sporty family. I've got two older brothers who did a lot of sport, uh, were very much involved with the local rugby club, I stood on there. Um, both of my brothers played for that team. Uh, my mother was a rugby fanatic in, you know, what she lo- lacked in knowledge, she made up for in kind of manic passion. Um, <laughs> and um, and actually, to and be like, fair, it's people like that that are getting a bit poo-pooed now, unfairly, oh, I think. Yeah. People just want to turn up and scream yeah. and not understand anything about it. You know, that is fine. You know, it's... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, support comes from all quarters. And uh, but, but I was lucky in terms of a kind of female role model because, you know, I was growing up... Um, Oh gosh, in the seventies and eighties, mm. and uh, and it wasn't a place as a little girl. You know, you didn't really turn up at your local rugby club like you know girls can do now, which is fantastic with all the kind of rugby hubs that have grown up along the club structure. But my my dad had a sister, my auntie Noreen, who died young. She was only fifty two when she died in nineteen 
1979. But she was an absolute sports fanatic. Uh, she had a sheepskin coat, a bit like Bill McLaren. You know, she'd be on the <laughs> touchline. She'd actually played football herself in her youth. So we found a photograph of her the other day playing football in the 1940s, um, which was wonderful. And um, she would take my brothers to, to Cardiff City games or uh, rugby games. And so I grew up thinking, yeah, it's perfectly normal for a woman to know all about rugby. And, and in subsequent years, when I really kind of dug into the history of female support, it's brilliant to, to see what you can find. You know, you go back to the records of Stradley Park or Cardiff Arms Park, and, and there are records there of, of women supporting in right at the the kind of birth of the game, the 1880s and 1890s, and they're actually putting in extra seats for the comfort of the ladies. So, you know, we've been, we've been there all along, and, um, you know, but, particularly but in not Wales. not enough toilets. Oh, God, no. Even no. in the old National Stadium, there was only about three ladies' toilets, wasn't there? Well, my, of... my brothers used to say, you know, because they'd always get schoolboy tickets from the rugby club, and uh, I said, well, why can't I come? They said, no, you just get peed on, you'll never get that. You know, it's, ne- <laughs> it's, it's never a place for you. And, you know, when I kind of first couple of matches, I thought, my God, there's going to be this river of urine coming towards me, or whatever. Um, they just used to tell yeah. it as to keep women away, I think. That was the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> yeah. so you were sporty, you had a sporty family. Did I read somewhere that you played cricket? I um, <laughs> that's a very loose term. I did play. We, we <laughs> I made the team basically. Mainly when I was in in college, we had a we had a cricket team. Uh, we weren't very good, but we enjoyed you know a bit of um, bit of sunshine and uh, you know, sandwiches afterwards. Social cricket, yes. Social cricket, yeah. I was I was mid run the skipping champion. I don't know whether that counts as a double dutch or normal. <laughs> uh, normal <laughs> running with the running with the rope. You know, actually, hundred meters running with the rope. Oh, I see. Like at the old school yeah. sports day, Joe. Yeah. Skipping yeah. race. So I see. Yeah, that's probably the height of my uh, sporting glory. Is that still really on the wall there. somewhere? <laughs> I've got a picture somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now you went to Oxford. I read. Oh you, God, yeah. You once you once wrote, um, although it was a given, I would go on to further education. Oxford seemed a step too far. Now, yeah, obviously, from us to Bronson, and I hate painting that picture of a no, person no. from the valley who doesn't go. But I suppose why? why and that's still an issue we have now. So wh- oh, why? Why? Yeah. Why did you see it a step too far, and what changed it? I suppose. Uh, if just, I suppose confidence. I'd, you know, this was kind of what I did my A levels in 1987. You know, not long before that, I'd watched Brideshead revisited and thought it was full of kind of <laughs> slightly effete men carrying teddy bears and. Uh, Yes, yeah, scarves and all that, yeah. <laughs> and all that. But I was very lucky. Um, I had one of those totally inspirational English teachers, Stella, Stella Pellard, who was a, an amazing character. Uh, she took me aside one day and said, look, I think uh, you should try for Oxford and I'm going to help you. And she, and I said, oh, miss, I don't think, you know, no, no, no. She said, well, she kind of made it her mission and gave me uh, lessons in her own time, did the entrance exam um, and, yeah, and got in. And, and, you know, it was all, it was really down to her belief and, and support and uh, I've thanked her many times over since because it was you know it was a fairly life-changing experience what, um what was the acclimatization <laughs> like oh my god well the f- I arrived uh, on a dark kind of um autumn evening and because uh, I was the youngest child my mother wept all the way back down the M4 she deposited <laughs> her and dad deposited me in the in a quad and I remember <laughs> I remember we were kind of unloading my stuff and there were these American tourists and they said, oh, are you showing around where dad went? And I said, no, dad went to Swansea. But, um, <laughs> and uh, and I, remember, I remember sitting in my room thinking, if, if I don't get out of this room in the next hour, I'm never going to have any friends. So I, I kind of, and the, it was dusk, it was really cold and I walked down, crossed the quad and I just thought, I'll just talk to the first person I see. And this guy coming towards me, another fresher. And I said, hi, I'm Carolyn, uh, who are you? Oh, I'm Dave from Slough. 
And he said, where are you from? I said, oh, I'm from the Ronda. He said, oh, yeah, I'm going to cold this on your face. And I said, well, <laughs> I said, well actually, well, I'm going to mind slap. the Welsh tropes are available. Yeah. yeah, oh, absolutely. And somebody also asked me, was I the first person from the Ronda to go to Oxford? Like it was the bloody corn is green or something, you know? And uh, <laughs> I was just... Um, and they used to think, I mean, I probably got a bit of a twang these days, but I was a bit more broad Ronda then. And hmm. there, there was a girl called Kirsten and it was her 21st birthday. And she said, oh, mummy, come and, come and hear Karen speak. She's from the Ronda. And uh, she, <laughs> she, she kind of flicked her lobes and said, oh, tell mummy what these are. Yours. And tell mummy what's attached to them. Earrings. <laughs> and she's like, you know, oh, mummy, isn't she so funny? You know, it's just... Well, yeah, I went to I went to the um, educational titan that is the the University of Teesside in Middlesbrough. Yeah, and we I played badminton for a while, and we managed to get through to the national cup quarterfinals and drew Oxford at Oxford. Oh wow! And we went down yeah. the minibus, and obviously we were from Middlesbrough, and I grew up yeah. in Lee in Lancashire, and subsequently uh-huh. lived in you know uh, Deeside in North Wales. So, and uh, my family were miners and stuff. And yeah. we went down to Oxford and we played and we lost. We got hammered. They had like former youth internationals playing from and everything. And afterwards we said, yeah. right, are we, are we going to go to the union now then to get something to eat? Because yeah. that's what normally happens. You get a ticket in Middlesbrough and go to the union. He was like, oh no, we yeah. don't have a union. I said, oh, right, okay. So <laughs> is, are we going to the pub or something then? Oh no, we don't. We, we have bars in, in the colleges or in the halls or something. I yeah. said, oh, okay. I said, do we go there then? He said, no, no, they don't open till half seven or something. I said, oh, <laughs> I says, well, what do we do now then? And I'm not joking. They said, yeah. well, we've made you some sandwiches and some squash and they brought like a tray out. And it was like, my God. And like, and I remember going there and they had like a rowing tank and an amazing stadium and facilities. And it was, it really yeah. was a glimpse into the other half live. And they were oh, lovely, lovely lads. But it was yeah. really kind of like, no, we'd normally be in the Star and Garter across the road from, you know, by now sort of thing. <laughs> well, I used to be really envious of that kind of whole big student union culture. I used to go and stay with friends on weekends in Manchester or whatever or um, Sheffield and stuff mm. and I thought you know this is like you know you could have bands here and everything and then I go back to bloody Hogwarts you know and it's kind of well, which college were you in because obviously Oxford isn't really one uni is it it's no, all these different no. colleges and that's that's what's interesting about it because you know even, even within the university itself there's a hierarchy and I went to um, Hartford College which if if you've seen the kind of Inspector Morse or Endeavour or whatever, it's the one with the bridge, the bridge of size. It's right in the ah, middle right, of town. Okay. Uh, it's quite a small college, and it, it had a very good record on uh, admitting state students, uh, state, state school students. Um, so someone from my school had been there kind of eight years before me or whatever. So that, there was a little bit of a link. And, um, and I went back there for a reunion, actually. And when I was there, it was 70% public school, 30% state school. And now it's the other way around, which is, I think, the second highest uh, ratio in the university, which is, you know, quite encouraging, mm. but still still a way to go. Is there something you're passionate about that now, trying to get that Yeah, balance? yeah. I'm involved in, um, there's a Welsh um, organisation called SARIN, which kind of supports kids um, from, you know, just normal Welsh backgrounds to to make sure they apply to the kind of Russell Group universities. Because there was a point a couple of years ago when I think there were more kids from Surrey getting in Oxford than the whole of Wales. And wow. it got to a kind of crisis point. So the Welsh government set up this... Uh, this organization and um, what's great about it is they get um kind of first year students uh to come back and talk to six formers and, and and they've got hubs across wales where they you know kind of advise them how to apply and just give them all the knowledge that you know if you're in a public school you take for granted really and uh, and tell them to to it's yeah, all about my kids you know, in a school in belief north, in school in north wales now and they had somebody come in from the seven network 
yeah. talk about it. Yeah, so it is happening. Uh, oh, it's a great thing. Um, so you were at Oxford. Obviously, rugby's a big deal at Oxford. Was it something it was, that you were yeah. doing, you know, Oxford Blues and all of that malarkey? Is that, were, you, were you following it then? Did you go watch yeah. the team? Did you cover the I team? Did, I didn't go to the varsity match, but my, my big memory was the 88 um, Wales-England game because I was in second year then and we'd go to the common room to watch the games on a quite a small television set mm. and, it w- and it would be just me and a b- my friend from Carmarthen, Jonathan, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, a, and, you know, literally, you know, 80 boys who look like Will Carlin with their collars up and their pink cheeks. And, uh, <laughs> and Ruddy I, I was, cheeked and cheetos. Oh, yeah. yes, yeah. And I was particularly excited that day because... Uh, my other English teacher in school was a lady called Margaret Hadley and mother of Adrian. Ah, right. I was going to say, okay. Yeah. So we always followed Adrian's career in particular. And in fact, we'd, uh, we'd sung at his wedding, our school choir, and got excited when, you know, John the Davis and people came down the aisle and stuff. Uh, so we always looked out for him. And of course, he had a storm on that day in Twickenham. And that was a very exciting match for us because, you know, <laughs> two Welsh people in, in a room full of posh boys and we, you know, celebrated hard so that's that's my main memory of university rugby i think and uh do you see yourself was... as sorry to finish. go on go on no i was gonna say do, do you see yourself somebody who's kind of i think pioneer is too strong a word maybe so you don't but somebody's broken down barriers like you went to oxford you but you know um... you're, you're a woman in rugby probably at a time when there were a lot less than there are now this is just me thinking there were less than there are now yeah please I'm wrong you know, oh, so, you're the first oh, so, woman to win, you know, sports writer of the year in Wales and stuff. Is it? Did, did you see? Did you knowingly at the time think to yourself, "Oh, I'm doing something new here"? Not, not at all. To be honest, it's, it's only all these years later where I've been involved in. Um, we've had a launched an initiative called Women in Sport in Wales last week, which is basically just drawing together women from all sorts of areas, from academia, from the media, women who play sport, students, mm. a lot to just kind of encourage each other as kind of a sisterhood of sport and I have just talking back with some like Dot Davis is one of my closest friends uh who's done you know lots of rugby broadcasting Wimbledon Wimbledon exactly and you know she's one of my best mates and we thought we were just there were lots of really impressive young women getting up kind of 19 20 year olds mm. just talking about what they were doing in sport and what you know the programs they were making all the rest of it and we just thought back to kind of <laughs> being in a in a press conference it was the trial game I don't know if you remember Graham Henry brought back the the yes, kind of uh, yeah. possibles probables uh, game in uh, oh gosh now where was it was it St Helens maybe and uh, 1999 I think and we Dot and I kind of sneaked into the press conference afterwards and looked around and thought oh my we really shouldn't be because <laughs> 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 kind of, I was just starting to the Western Mail had asked me to to write about rugby um, after. Um, for the World Cup and the World Cup had come to Cardiff and I'd actually left the West Mill by that point um, a year but they said because oh, I, I still wrote for them every week and they said mm. oh, will you do something with the World Cup uh, and that's how it started you know it was it was never my idea it was kind of the best idea I never had but I do remember those those kind of really early days when I was always the only woman in the room um, but having said that uh, the the blokes were brilliant I had so much support and help you know I'd be at a stadium god knows where and I wouldn't be able to find my way around or whatever and because they'd been going there for donkey's years and they knew where all the you know where you could plug in your laptop and all the rest of yeah. it and and they were just brilliant and I think that's one of the great things about rugby is that um in my experience you know there's been very little misogynism and sexism social media is a whole different area but um, yes. 
but but the the industry itself um with very few exceptions has been been really positive but the fun thing is you always remember the exceptions don't you do you i mean you see a lot of the the, the horrible flack that sonia mclaughlin gets and stuff are you oh, do you God. do you get some do you get similar yeah. be, for Not being a woman level. who dares to comment about rugby on social media and and the interesting thing is it's, it's kind of and i hate this really in a way that i don't <laughs> I don't do as much on social media as I used to because I just mm. think, oh, I don't want to wake up on Saturday morning and look through a timeline full of nonsense. Um, you know, and Sonia is just amazing. I think she's such a fantastic journalist. You know, she asks questions that you have a little intake of breath and don't think, wow, you know, mm. <laughs> she just asked that one. I remember asking um, Martin Johnson to look back on some footage of, uh, I'm not sure if it was Danny Kerr or somebody, there was a big pivotal moment in a game and he really didn't want to do it. She was like forcing him to do it. <laughs> and, uh, and I just thought, oh, you know, respect. I think she's amazing. And um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one because, as you know, I, I'm not in it full time. You know, it's, it's not my main livelihood. It's something I really enjoy and I kind of uh, do fairly regularly, but it's not my day job, mm. um, but what it is for Sonia, and, and and I think some of the just nonsense she puts up with is just ridiculous. But other people pile in on her behalf, and, and when you see, you know, a pile of men piling in on her behalf is great as well, because mm. it's kind of, um, it, you know, makes the point even more strongly sometimes. But um, but no, the I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think. The worst I've got. I mean, years ago, I remember been introduced to the then chief executive of the WIU, who shall remain nameless, but you could probably guess who he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a long time ago, uh, by um, Alan Phillips, Wales team manager, just introduced me. He said, oh, this is Carolyn. She's, uh, she's the only woman in Wales who, who writes about rugby. And the chief executive said, yeah, but can she read a map? And he, he wasn't saying it in a kind of, you know, jaunty little bantery way. You know, it would have been bad enough. Which would have been bad enough for itself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. He was saying it with a complete straight face and not even looking me in the eye, kind of thing. Um, and and, and to I be remember, honest, why is that even relevant anyway? That's a, exactly. Yeah. That's I just purely designed to make you feel like shit, isn't it? Oh, There's absolutely. No... And then, and then I remember the first game I ever did at Lansdowne Road in that old kind of rickety press box where the trains used to rumble underneath, and they'd give you a big bowl of Irish stew before you sat down, and. Uh, I was sat next to Paul Ackford, and there was there was never much room in that press box. But of course, you know his knees were kind of up yeah. to his years practically, because uh, he's such a big guy. And I and I was again the only woman there that day. And I kind of squeezed myself into this last little gap. And he just looked down from his great height and said, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm writing a colour piece." He said, "Well, colour is it pink?" You know, oh <laughs> my <kind> god! <laughs> yeah, so. He was a policeman. He was a senior policeman. Oh. I, I, don't know why, little... I don't know why I'm sounding surprised. He's a senior yeah. policeman in the 80s. Yes, of course he was like that. So. Of course he was like that, yeah. And nearly, you know, reminded him of a very, quite a much smaller 18-year-old Argentinian prop who would have, <laughs> could have, could have felled him quite easily. But at, uh, you, didn't, no, you didn't fancy was... going like that on him, though. You... I didn't know. I thought, no, I'm not going to call <laughs> I'll you I'll leave right that now. one for another day. Yeah. Pick up your phone while driving and you might need to be picked up from work. Break the speed limit and you could be breaking plans with your mates. Leave L or N plates off your car and you could be left getting taxis for the next six months. So ask yourself, is it really worth it? Seven penalty points over three years will disqualify learner and novice drivers for six months. Steer clear of points and stay on the road. A message from the Road Safety Authority. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna. 
talking to people who stand up, speak out or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Interesting, you talked about the fact you've been to all these grounds, haven't you? And I suppose yeah. you've, you've been around the transition between the old grounds to the new grounds and yes, sort of the redeveloped yeah. grounds. Do you are you one of those people who looks black with a lot of nostalgia or just recognizes the fact that they were terrible or you know what what's your view do, do, you, yeah. do you prefer the old ones or I do, it's funny with Lansdowne Road in particular because I find the Aviva just a bit like someone's enormous conservatory. Yeah, it looks, and, it's like um, a double glazing showroom. Yeah, it? there's particularly that you know the, that one end where it's, it's a very planning shallow. permission issue, isn't it? They can't. Uh, yeah. All oh, right. Okay. Of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. What's so funny is when, when they built the GAA stadium in the non-posh bit of Dublin, they just smashed yeah. loads of massive stadium stands up there, and nobody said anything. Yeah. But because Lansdowne's yeah. is slightly nicer part then. Oh yeah, Dublin Four and all that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But I do remember. I do. A, a particularly nice memory of Lansdowne Road because it was the, the guy who used to look after all the press was this quite elderly guy called Ned and he was an absolutely absolute sweetheart and it was back in let me think now it was when did Graham Henry go it was 2003 two three two, two. yeah Tomorrow. yeah yeah so yeah because it's it's the even numbers were in Dublin and I was over doing um doing a Radio Wales series called More Than a Game where I was looking at the the bigger culture of the game and it was a hell of a weekend so we arrived in a storm you know there, there was that footage of the plane almost going off the runway and people kind of throwing up in on ferries um and um and I was kind of following a, a group of fans around for the weekend and then covering the game which turned out to be very dramatic because you know Henry was gone within about four days of it and uh, I'm in I think it was the was it the Burlington Hotel maybe two in the morning doing a radio interviewing somebody with my radio kit and my I was pickpocketed. My bag was stolen. Oh, God. And it, yeah, in my bag is my airline tickets, my phone, my purse, but most important of all, my match ticket um, for the following morning and the uh, following day. So um, I remember getting in touch with Ned and he was distraught that I'd had this experience in his city. And he said, right then, he said, yeah, I'll meet you at gate 12. He said, and if some bastard's in your seat, I'll nab him. So there was always, you know, in the older stadiums, there was always this kind of nice... Um, relationship with with the staff, you know, the people who've been there for donkey's years, and, and today it's all a bit, it's all a bit slicker and more corporate, and but it is more comfortable, obviously. Yes, but, uh, yeah. And, uh, but the, the funny thing is about the principality; it's got the worst sighted press box in the world. You know, it's the best stadium in the world, but it's the worst. Yeah, the sight lines are brilliant everywhere oh, you sat, aren't they? Apart yeah, from, well, I've not sat in the, the press box, box there, but I've yeah, uh... we we call it Glanmore's Revenge. <laughs> 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 they squeezed really it in on the lower tier and you know and i have sat there when you know people have put their pint on your on your table or they ask can they charge your phone <laughs> Brilliant. So, but uh you're you're in amongst it that's for sure you mentioned there that you mentioned earlier i think you said that you you consider yourself to be a kind of journalist and broadcaster who sometimes writes about rugby yeah so was your ambition always to be a writer and journalist and broadcaster Generally, I always want, or... yeah. I always wanted to write more than anything. It's the, it's the only thing I'm ever comfortable doing. 
since I was really small. Um, I always kept diaries, wrote stories, and I thought I've got to find a kind of way of earning a living where I can just carry on doing this. And I was never a big news hound. I remember being on the Murder Express and doing death knocks, you know, and mm. like on a dark night in Dowless or somewhere, thinking, oh, please don't be in. You know, it's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> so I knew I was never going to be Woodward and Bernstein, put it that way. So um, by the time I'd gone through all my training and you do go around the whole, you know, kind of gamut of journalism, your court reporting and counsel and all the rest of it. By the time I went to the Western Mail, I'd, I'd specialised in subbing initially and then, then feature writing and um, then made the transition to Italian radio. And what I love particularly is radio because it's so similar in a way. It's still about getting a great script, except that, you know, where you put quotes in in a written article in, in radio, suddenly you can kind of add layers of sound and interviews, you know, with people in person, obviously. And, and it's a lovely kind of intimate medium that hasn't really changed as well. But, you know, whatever trends come in in broadcasting or or print and digital or whatever, radio stays pretty straightforward. So I'm a particular fan of radio. Yeah, well, we're doing this now as a podcast. and Absolutely, yeah. I think and that's everyone, opened everyone, up a whole new world. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And the growth yeah. is just in, incredible. And it just shows you what people people like. So somebody speaks in their ears and they particularly yeah. like niche content they can choose. I think the yeah. kind of podcasts for me seem to have become the kind of new niche magazines. If, if yes. Because you know, we always loved a niche magazine, didn't we, in Britain? Yes, yeah. And I think there's yeah. something about podcasts that, People are just consuming it in a different medium now. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I love it, and it's 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 really interesting for me. You know, I've been producing radio for twenty years, and and to see the the development of the podcast, particularly in elements in sport. You know, we're kind of it's a bit like where fanzines used to be so big, didn't they? And it's it's kind yeah, of it's you, you can yeah, have the yeah. same kind of feel. It's a, it's the same kind of content. So um, no, it's it's, it's a great development. I think. Um. So on Twitter, you yeah. often. Well, you always seem to produce a photograph of a ticket of every notable Wales game for about the last <laughs> thirty years. Is 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 that correct? Did you have you been to pretty much all of them for the past few I've, decades? I've missed very few home games in the last twenty years. Um, this has been the first year when I've done no away games in the Six Nations for, for twenty years, and um, a couple of reasons why I. I was particularly going to go to Scotland. I always go to Scotland. It's my favourite trip. And I'd said yes to hosting this uh, Best of Wales Gala Ball in London for Valindra, which, you know, mm. as you mentioned earlier, is, is of course, really uh, precious to me, um, months ago. I didn't check the dates. <laughs> and it was the same weekend. And then I thought, oh, it's OK. I'll just get up in the morning and fly, fly from London. But then I thought, oh, then I found out it was a two o'clock or quarter past two kickoff. And I thought I was kind of too fine. And, yeah, I was on the table with our Valindra president, John the Davis and fair play to him he was a, he was still up at 2am and at 6 o'clock he was on his way to Heathrow um, so maybe I could have done it if I tried a bit harder but then Jiffy probably had a nice you know limo meeting him oh, and, uh, yes. with his name on and he was he would have been <laughs> police escort to the ground and you know he'd, he'd arrived in he, style he but, really uh, wants to know the viewing figures for Premier Sport Jiffy. I know <laughs> really I know. wants to know <laughs> <laughs> um, I know yeah, was, um, that was that was quite some tweet you were talking about that. Uh, I think it was uh, made in Hong Kong in the early hours after. Oh yeah, many, uh, he still beers, likes to have a yeah. few. Uh, oh yes, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> so, and is, you've all, is these games you've gone to the past few decades? It's always been because you're working them, or have you gone socially as well? Or I've done, I've always gone socially, and the West Mill have said, "Oh, while you're there, all <laughs> ah, right." So I would like to point out 
that I have paid for every single trip, rugby trip I've ever been on, with the exception of the World Cup in 2003 when I went out as Max Boyce's producer. Um, and even then I paid for, to stay an extra week because I thought Wales might go further than, we'd, uh, than we thought because they'd done so well against um, New Zealand in that uh, pool game. So, so you, yeah, you made the that's move how it into, works. You made the move into producing, uh, broadcasting production then pretty early because yeah. you, you went to the Western Mail in the 90s, didn't you? And then, yeah. then you in the 2003 World Cup, you just mentioned you were producing Max Boyce. So yeah. did you yeah, go I mean, to the BBC or was it something different? No, I, went to, I went to an independent company. And it, it's one of the funny things, actually, because people always think I'm a Western Mail person. And I, you know, I am in, in a way, but I write one piece a week for them. I'd be yeah. the laziest journalist in the history of, you know, Welsh newspapers. Um, but I, I did actually leave the Western Mail in 1998. And uh, I was approached by um, uh, a guy called Chris Stewart and his wife, Megan, who'd founded their own production company called Presentable. Um, probably the most famous thing Presentable did was late night poker. They, we oh, kind right. of created, you know, poker on telly effectively, which grew the company. Uh, and then Chris and Megan retired. And a few of us more recently, 2012, th- uh, three, all women, founded our own company then. And um, we make only connect, you know, the hardest quiz on telly. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the other, my two colleagues work on that practically year round. And then I concentrate on um, documentaries and do an, produce an arts program every month that reviews productions, uh, history programs, music programs, food programs. I've been out, out recording in Cardiff Bay, a program about curry today. So uh. <laughs> you're still based in South Wales then? Yeah, we're in Tlandeff, just down, down from yeah, the yeah, BBC. No, yeah, yeah. 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 And as I say, you know, small but perfectly formed. And it's not, you know, it's not the same security as being kind of fully employed. But equally, you know, creatively, it's nice because you you, you tend to try and bid for contracts, but, mm. but try and match them to the kind of interest you have. You know, you put, put programs forward that, uh, that you'd love to do. So, um, yeah, one of the most recent projects was we did Hidden Heroines, all the kind of content for the yeah, vote for the yeah, statue. Yeah. yeah, which was, you know, was, which is really kind of special thing to be involved in so your point about the yeah. sharing network and breaking down barriers and stuff is that something that's you know how, how do you see your role as with things like hidden heroines and women in wales is it or do you see yourself as even having a role i suppose well i think what's if you work in the media it can it can feel a pretty shallow profession you know it's not brain surgery it's not um it's not teaching it's not social work but but without sounding kind of too you know pious about it you what you can do with making programs is explore issues that need to be explored. You can fight for people who might have been, you know, forgotten, which was the case with the with women's history. Mm. Um, so you you can, you know, you try to make a difference with the kind of subject matter you choose, and and it's it's getting more difficult in a way because um, you know you're kind of governed by your audience figures and. And it's a very fragmented, diverse kind of media world out there where we're all kind of fighting for platforms and mm. with ever, ever, ever diminishing budgets, you know. Um, well, it'll be easy. Well, to be fair to you, I suppose, it would be easy to chase more populist type things yeah. to make a bit of easier money, I suppose. And it, and it is hard because sometimes, you, you know, you're, you're trying to hold out for the essence of a programme, which... And then there's oh, but you need a celebrity on it to produce to present it or whatever, or you need to, you know, you need to go with this angle more strongly or whatever. And so it's it's always a compromise. Mm. Um, but um, but but the rugby league program was a good example because they, uh, that wasn't. I mean, I didn't produce that. The Tarek Ali and Alan Golden 
director producer came to me and said would you present uh, so they did all the work on that and you know I have just basked in that glory ever since it's been very unfair because I got so many lovely comments on Twitter and literally those guys did all the work but but that was a, an example of something that we we all loved rugby you know we all loved history and suddenly you, you dig into a subject where you're exposing things that have nothing to do with sport in a way you know this yeah, kind absolutely. of yeah. you're looking at yeah. you know you're looking at kind of prejudice and and um, so poverty it, and yeah. social history and all sorts of issues and um it's the joke of it isn't uh, it? people say you shouldn't yeah. bring politics into sports have you yeah you, you <laughs> yeah. know seriously you know yeah. it's kind of... oh they're inseparable yeah yeah well because it's yeah. a product of society isn't it anyway, absolutely yeah. that forever but while we're yeah. on while we're back on rugby i suppose so uh-huh so what is rugby more special to you than other sports yeah very much so i mean uh my dad it's a big athletics fan. So when we were little, we, we would go to Cumbran and watch the British Championships. And I remember being obsessed with Zola Bud for a while because uh, we mm. were probably similar ages. And um, so I, I, I did like athletics. And particularly if you were growing up in the 80s, you know, you had all the kind of Seb Coe and Steve Ovette and yeah. Crammy and all the rest of it. You know, it was a kind of golden era of UK athletics. Um, but in terms of rugby, it is just something that gets me in the heart. And it just, it's something as well that, it's a great way to look at Wales again, you know, you using the subject to look at something more broadly and it's kind of a prism to view all sorts of aspects of the Welsh character, the Welsh politics, the, you know, who we are as people, our identity and everything is, it's all there in rugby from committee culture to, you know, we're slow to kind of grapple with professionalism because traditionally we're quite a public sector, non-entrepreneurial culture, yeah, you know, it's yeah, kind of, no, there, before, there's, yeah. there's so many, aspects of the sport which throw up elements of of who we are um and make us examine things about ourselves that are sometimes joyous and sometimes really uncomfortable um and i do think generally that that we punch above our weight in the sport um i mean it was interesting in the rugby league program looking back on the guys who left wales and then welsh rugby went through troughs you know in the depression and again in the 80s and yet up north they were achieving great things so they were kind of Welsh players right the way through a hundred years who were playing great rugby. Uh, we just forgot about some of them when they, when they left the country. So uh, no, I do think, I do think Wales. Yeah. And I think that was the great thing about that punches. show actually was actually yeah. to say, um, this is a massive legacy of achievement that nobody really seems to want to recognize properly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it was, it was lovely to go to those communities in the north of England and, and feel the, the affinity that they had with the Welsh guys. And, and they were very similar. It was like being in Welsh rugby club, clubs in some places, you know, and walking in and seeing the memorabilia and, and how much they cherished um, people who were ostracised back home. It was, um, it, was a real, it was a real kind of symmetry yeah. to it, you know. It was, as, uh, as, as, a, as a chippy rugby league person of his, yeah. myself originally, that it, it played right into everything that I want to see a television programme. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that's. Do you still think Wales is, sorry, rugby is Wales's national sport? Because there's often talk about you know participation numbers and football oh, absolutely, and yeah. all that. You know, I suppose we. It's a really interesting question for me because I think, um, I think we romanticise it too much as well. I remember Graham Henry said to me, "You're 80 minute patriots, you lot." He said, "You know, you you love the big, the, you love the big day, you love the, the Cardiff on match day, and all the." carnival that goes with it he said but you don't put any effort into the kind of infrastructure that underpins it and and all the difficult stuff um so i think that kind of culturally romantically we will kind of nail our colors to rugby but you know you've you've got to give fo- football an in here you, you look at the impact 
globally that the Welsh brand made through football in the Euros. Mm. Um, and I don't think, you know, rugby will ever touch that kind of, um, you know, level of exposure. And if you ask anybody around the world to, to name Wales' most famous sportsman at the moment, they'd probably say Gareth Bale, wouldn't yes. they? They wouldn't say, uh, they wouldn't pick a rugby player. Uh, unless, of course, you're in a in a rugby country. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're fine in South Africa or whatever. It's, I mean, but, it's always, uh, you know, more generally speaking, it's always going to be rugby's problem, isn't it? That yes. I remember there's a, a comedian once said, I thought about following rugby, then I realised only eight people play it and four of them, <laughs> four of them are us. You know, and, it's kind of, and, and there is an element of that. The, the, the total global reach of football means oh, that yes. if Wales football do start to do well, it'd be interesting to see what happens. But I do, I, yeah. yeah, that point about it, rugby reflecting Welsh culture a little bit more. Certainly the South yeah. East Wales and West Wales culture, I think is probably right. Um, yeah, it's, it's been the kind of crack game as well. You know, you look, if you're ever lucky enough to be invited to a WRU function room on match day and you look across that room and you think, my God, there's every kind of echelon of, upper echelon of Welsh society is here. Mm. You know, everybody, it, it kind of touches movers and shakers more than football, I think. Yes. Yeah. Good point. Um, how do you see the game now compared to, we cover some of this with the stadiums, but how do you see yeah. the game now compared to when you started watching? Because I suppose you would have started right around when professionalism was in its infancy, wouldn't you? In terms yeah. Of... The kind of baggy cotton trader shirt era, yeah. And, and no matching <laughs> training kit. It was like, there's like a no. video, there's a YouTube video of England training in the early 90s and they've all just got their own jumpers on and stuff and they're just yeah. walking through some passing moves and stuff. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, one thing that does worry me um, in terms of where the game is going, I'm on the board of the Welsh Rugby Charitable Trust, which is um, it's not attached to the WRU, but it's very it is we, you know we've got a good partnership with them, but we we're the kind of charitable arm of it, um, and we look after severely injured players. We've got mm. twenty twenty two guys um, who are wheelchair users, and we've got kind of um, others who've got almost like stroke symptoms, you know, so they, they are able to walk, but with difficulty, I've got one, one female player on our, on our, in our group as well. Um, and one thing that does worry me is, is where the game is going in terms of injury management long-term and the, the physicality of it and the, the size of physiques crashing into each other. Um, we, you probably watched Sam Warburton's brilliant documentary recently, and mm. you look at the toll that it's taken on his body um, you know, we're increasingly coming up against concussion, which is going to be a grey area in terms of insurance claims and all that kind of thing. Because sometimes the symptoms don't show up for several years down the line, and that element of it does worry me. I mean, I wonder because I haven't got kids, and I wonder if if I had children, would I want them to play? You know, at this it's game I love so much, up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I and I do love this game, but I've got um, I've got a great nephews. Um, uh, left at WRU um, and now he's coaching in Poland he's coaching Poland's forwards um, and he's Chris they've got just some co- big lads oh god yeah they're enormous they're <laughs> enormous yeah and uh, yeah because Chris is 30 uh, he's, he's going on a bit of a kind of scouting mission at the moment and I keep telling him you know, you've got to go to all the Catholic churches in Britain basically to get the because uh, you know, we we grew up as Catholics and we always had lots you know there's been two big waves of Polish immigration. I said, you've got to get, get, I said, ring up all the priests at home. <laughs> and, um, but anyway, Chris was a good rugby player himself and uh, he played for Ponte Youth. He was um, on the books of the senior team and he smashed his shoulder, 18 years of age. And, uh, you know, he'd been on creatine and all the kind of mm. muscle building things that 
teenagers were given. And the Aberdare Tic Tacs, as they call them. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he went to um, to get his shoulder fixed by a surgeon, and the surgeon said, I'm sick of seeing this injury. He said, I'm sick of seeing boys of your age coming in with this amount of muscle um, and this particular injury. He said, your skeleton's never going to get any bigger. Your ligaments and your tendons will never get any bigger to support all this kind of built body you know and his rugby career was more or less over that age and um, I mean he's gone into coaching and he's having you know he's doing really well but I do wonder you know he misses he misses the kind of playing side of it mm. um, and it's it is a you know without sounding too grim about it all you know and we've kind of eulogized the collision so much more haven't we the the hit rather than the jink and become, yeah and the defenses are yeah. so on top now and it's oh god to, yeah it's it's um and well you know the big thing you notice this year, which I think is the first time it's appeared in digi- on digital on the screens digitally, this yeah. dominant tackle stat. Oh God! Suddenly yeah, appeared. yeah. I hadn't seen that before. No, it suddenly so. appeared now. <laughs> What's interesting is they didn't explain what it meant. So, like my yeah. son sat next to me, who's sixteen, he follows rugby. He's, he played a bit in school, so he likes it. He went, "What's a dominant tackle?" He's like, "Well," and I tried to explain it to him. Well, I did, but it's interesting that you know that there is that's become a thing now, right at the time yeah. when we're trying to, to be honest a lot of the rule changes seem to be trying to push this kind of paradigm shift and nudge away from dominant yeah. tackles. But now, of course, yeah. everyone watching will go, well, your team's rubbish because you don't know as many dominant tackles as yeah. us, sort of thing. Yeah. So it's um, it's an interesting thing. No, but I yeah, I, do, I think everyone does share that worry, and it is. Because if, if it becomes, we've talked about this on the pod, but if it becomes uninsurable, it won't exist. Yeah. So something yeah. has to be done, and, and the yeah. NFL's finding a... And, and, and the trouble is, because this is the first go-around at trying to fix it, Mm. it's never going to be perfect. So what you tend to get, and because it's social media, you get these huge swinging opinions about it's terrible or it's brilliant or it's, yeah. and actually it's probably somewhere in between and some bits between, of it aren't yeah. going to work and some bits of it are going to be fine. You know, it's yeah. because it's the first go at this. It'd be just be interesting to see this generation of professionals, because um, you, you see guys now like JPRs had both hips replaced and, um, Same haircut Neil... though. You got to respect yeah, that. Yeah. You got to respect <laughs> that in a man. And sideburns as well. <laughs> yeah, two new whips, same hair. I like that. Yeah, and he can still get into his 1974 Lions blazer. He assures me. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> um, but you know you do wonder where what kind of shape these guys' bodies will be in in 20 years down the line, and uh, you know it's too late to do anything about it then, I suppose. Moving back to some nicer stuff. You mentioned JPR yes. there. Um, yes. Do you do you have a favourite Welsh player? Or is oh gosh! But you're friends um, with them all, so you probably can't say that. Can you? <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big fan of Martin Williams, um, mm. as a as a person and a player. I just thought if you looked at him, he should never have been as good as he was. You know, I just think you know bodily, a bit, a bit like Shane. You know, you an you, outstanding you, footballer, an outstanding yeah. rugby player. Yeah, not, not given um, anything like enough notices. No, absolutely, and um, you know, I just think of so many matches where he just produced that kind of. Fabulous link play, and I remember particularly 2005 Grand Slam in mm. in Paris, where at halftime everyone had written us off. Yeah, you know, it was a flash in the pan this Welsh team, and then I was still kind of arranging my baguette and my pen, and, and he'd scored twice. You know, and it's like, and we were right back in it. Um, and I think it's interesting from the perspective of being involved with Valinda as well. I know that Martin has gone through some really, really devastating times as a family. He lost his brother died at 18 from cancer his oh, mum wow, died at 40, yeah. at 49 of cancer you know and um and this was all run in parallel to his rugby career uh, so he's always been a, a person who's got great perspective you know he knows where rugby falls in the scheme of things for him um and it's probably one of the things that made him such a great player and he's just a really decent person 
And I think he's doing great with the punditry. He's really he's a great pundit, actually. Yeah, and it, he's, it's very, he's one of the very few that somebody doesn't go mad about because everyone else yes. something to the point. On, and I, you know, I can't talk the way I speak about <laughs> things sometimes because the trouble with Twitter is is that you, you you do it like you would in the pub. You know, you, yeah. in a pub you go shut up you knob sort of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. and you'd yeah. write that on Twitter but then it's out there isn't it sort of thing yes. and um, and that's the problem so but I think Martin's one of the only he's one of the few that you never really see that about no and you can tell that he's working at it I, I always like you know as a producer you know you, you often get sports people who've just retired and they, they want to get into the media and and you can always tell the ones that are going to succeed because they they'll work at it like they did their sport they, they know that this is a new area for them and there are things that Though they've got all the knowledge and the experience of being out there, that we'll never have. But equally, they they've got to learn about you know uh, projection and expressing themselves and mm. all that kind of thing. And you can just tell that that Martin puts the work in as well on that side. And uh, no, I think he's a great guy. You mentioned before about speaking to Graham Henry. Um, yes. What what have what has dealing with Wales coaches been like? Have they all been okay? <laughs> or been some? I don't. I'm yeah. not, I, I said difficult to name names, but. Have, have there yeah. been some more difficult characters? Any, has any characters been completely and utterly difficult and impossible to deal with? Or? <laughs> they've, they've all been different. Um, I, Mike Reddick was always a, a dream to deal with. In oh, fact, I remember yeah. being on, you've been on the, the America Canada tour and uh, he said, hey, Karen, I've got, I've got a good story for you. One of, the, one of the American fans over here is from such and such a place and he knows so and so and come and talk to him. You know, it's kind yeah. of, so he's hunting out stories and he was very good. Uh, a good guitarist and singer, Mike, as well, and you know, in those kind of social moments on tour, <laughs> um, I got on well with Graham Henry. Uh, he did once say, "I remember ringing him up for something." I said, "Christ, Caroline, I wouldn't get out of bed for that." And I said, "You know, Graham, you're not a supermodel. Come on." <laughs> <laughs> Former head teacher so, from New Zealand. Yes, Come on. yeah, Graham. Graham knew his worth, shall we say? Um, so, so the yeah, the financial negotiations were were the tougher. Much tougher than doing the interviews, um, but but somebody surprisingly, I some people might find surprising. Someone I really liked and respected was Steve Hansen, and uh, you know he was could be quite tough on some journalists and would lose his rag, particularly when he was going through that record run of losses when it was all about performance, not results. That's but, one of the great. Uh, but, that's one of my favourite press conferences. Oh, when he, when he, when he just goes, how many times? I just have to say, do you have to be told? Yes. That I you know, it's about the performance. Yeah. Then the results will follow. You know, are you stupid? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it was oh, brilliant. Yeah. I actually really love that. Yeah, it was a classic. But uh, but I remember spending. It was just before the uh, World Cup, two thousand three, and I'd been asked to write a, a kind of five thousand word piece on Hansen, and spent um, a whole day at the Vale, uh, just following around and, and talking to him. And one of the, one of the moments I'll never forget from that interview was he just went off on this kind of really quite eloquent rant about what frustrated him about Wales and and Welsh culture, really. And he said, you know, this country said it just, it could be the best little country in the world, he said, but it's village against village, town against town, you know, committee man against committee man. You all hate each other. You've got this kind of cancer eating away at you. You all hate each other. And he just went on and on and Sounds on. Sounds like a very just, bright man. <laughs> yeah. And he, he just kind of stopped. And we both looked at each other in kind of shock that he'd said so much. And I... And I kind of agreed with so much of it as well, but, <laughs> yeah. um, and it was, and he really did care, you know, I think, um, and he put in a lot of the hard yards in that period and players yeah, like Martin. The, the, the yeah. malaise at the end of the Graham Henry period was, oh, it was pretty, huge. pretty yeah. deep, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And he said, you know, the stuff about the jailer Glamorgan and he said to, he said, you know, he said, most places you go is the bloody wives and girlfriends. You come to Wales, it's the bloody mothers, he said. <laughs> <laughs> 
you see, you know, they're, they're at the gates for food parcels, kind of, you know, bloody Welsh mams. Um, but he said, I, I just wanted to, to, to tell the players that, they, that there was a degree of sacrifice involved in playing for your country. And he said, I don't think it's too much of a sacrifice to stay in a hotel for a week. Mm. <laughs> so it's kind of, so it's that kind of element to him. So I did, I got on well with Steve Hansen. And, um, what was Moffat like? Did you deal with Moffat much? I did. Oh, I just, oh gosh. Um, erratic, probably is the best yeah. word. Um, Good value, yeah. I imagine, when he's Good value, form, yeah. yeah. Never, never dull, always quotable. But, um, yeah, uh, uneven, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> and we'll finish on this thing because it is coming to the end of Gatlin's tenure. Yes. Has he been all right to deal with? I know you, he has. I know you probably still have to speak to him now, don't you? So <laughs> too much, but... No, he's... Um, he can be, he can be tough. Um, you know, he can be, any Welsh coach gets to the point where they just want to kill every journalist in Wales, I think. Because <laughs> <Yeah, sure, yeah. laughs> it probably is an environment, uh, it's a similar environment to New Zealand in terms of the press scrutiny, but except that New Zealand win most of the time. <laughs> um, uh, so there, there are times when you've, you know, you've witnessed that extreme frustration. Um, but no, I've always had, um, you know, I've always had a, a, a good professional relationship with Gats and we've done a lot of kind of nice light-hearted Q&As in in charity dues and things where if he's had a couple of red wines he's very witty and, and mm. quite uh, quite candid as well um, and I've seen him in those environments in, in rugby clubs where he's got time for people and and uh, you know he'll, he'll, he'll let his hair down a bit and and I think we're going to miss him I think we're going to look back on this 10 years and think yeah okay we, we never quite made the Southern Hemisphere record that we might have wanted but in terms of um, Northern Hemisphere success and you know and World Cup progress as well I think he's done a great job I'm turning you into a truly proper professional international outfit oh absolutely yeah you know. yeah. And it, yeah I mean I have said this I mean England since 2000 and well, 2003 really has been absolutely awful, basically. Yeah. Well, it's not been all been awful, but it's just been. It is. I think it's just been about. There was about ten years of malaise, and if yeah. if we'd had Gatlin from 2007, yeah, uh, it's, it's it, it would have been very, very different. I mean, it's mind-boggling to me that England, with its player base and resources, isn't consistently the top team in the world, and yet. You I know, bet you still it, find it a bit it funny, though. Yeah, it doesn't bother <laughs> me that much, to be honest. <laughs> That's what Josh always says. That all Welsh fans, because he's from Aberdeen, isn't he? all Welsh fans yeah. just, you know, awake at night, terrified that one day England might get their act together because then it's oh, over God, for yeah. it's over for everyone. Basically. It is, yeah. Oh, it is. no, seriously, it would be, it would be. But uh, no, the the dragon will always be roaring. <laughs> and on that note, I hope I hope you have a wonderful time Saturday and you you roar in. I am having. I've actually lived more than half my life in Wales, and my kids are. Oh, stuff, you're so. one of us now. Well, you know, no, I wouldn't go that far. But, it, but yeah, it's a, but, but still, I would. I definitely. I would. I would be happy if Wales won a Grand Slam on Saturday. So, um, Carolyn, that's been really great, and we'll. Sp- and well, we may speak to you again. I don't know, but if we don't, that's been great. Thank you very much. Ta-ra, absolute, man. absolute pleasure. Ta-ta. Pick up your phone while driving, and you might need to be picked up from work. Break the speed limit, and you could be breaking plans with your mates. Leave L or N plates off your car, and you could be left getting taxis for the next six months. So ask yourself: Is it really worth it? Seven penalty points over three years will disqualify learner and novice drivers for six months. Steer clear of points and stay on the road. A message from the Road Safety Authority. 
Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.